Welcome to another episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. I want to remind you to hit that follow slash subscribe button to not miss future episodes released every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now to get into today's show. Ashley is experienced in both academia and entrepreneurship. She holds a PhD in communication, focusing in health communication. She has authored 35 plus publications while also teaching courses in health communication, health research, health behavior theory, and applied biostatistics and epidemiology. If that's not enough, she is also the CEO and co-founder of InnoQuest. With InnoQuest mobile app and her co-founder Kyle, they seek to change the way people explore their cities. Players become the main character in a mystery set in their own city. By exploring their real-world environment, players solve puzzles, clues presented in the app to reach the story's conclusion. Throughout this episode, we discuss health communications, how to think like an entrepreneur, and what it takes to be bold in life. Be sure to listen to the entire episode for insights into the struggles of being an entrepreneur, as well as how Ashley was able to overcome these same pressures. Hey, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know we have similar backgrounds around healthcare and you being a PhD in communication with a focus in healthcare. I'm so excited to have this conversation. But first off, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited for our conversation. It's going to be a fun one. One thing I always love to just get the wheels churning in my and for my guests. And one of my questions is, is a really good activity where we're going to actually churn back the wheel of time. And I want to know who Ashley was as a kid on the playground. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love this question. <laughs> uh I think I was a very energetic and creative child. Um, I mean, like when I look back on my childhood, everything was about being very involved and, and being the star. Like I loved gymnastics. I loved to perform. I loved acting. I, you know, the neighborhood girls and I were always making up these little skits and forcing our parents to sing through them. (laughs) That's hilarious. So it was... I I think creativity was definitely at the foundation of who I was. That's awesome. So you were you were a creative, imaginative, if you will, child running, not a worry in the world. What's what kind of Ashley was who was Ashley there? I mean, I think definitely I have a side of me that has some anxiety. Mm. That's for sure. So I don't I don't know that I'd go completely carefree on that one. <laughs> But I think, um, you know, I grew up with really amazing parents and a Mm. great younger brother. And I think they were just really supportive in terms of letting me explore different things that I was interested in. And so I think that I had a lot of opportunities, you know, to try different things. And I think that 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 probably helped later in life too, that when mm-hmm. I wanted to try things as an adult, it was a little bit, I think, less scary. Yeah. That's, that's awesome to allow that fruition or that, that growth factor of just saying, Hey, go explore your child at heart once, you know, really should allow that full childhood uh, experience to be manifested and experienced. So that's, that's amazing that you're able to gain that through this and through childhood. Uh, I know we say we have fears growing up and all this stuff, and we'll probably get into that and touch into that aspects of you. But I'm really curious, we all have influential members or even individuals that were close to us that really were formative people. Who was that for you? I mean, the, the foundation really is my mom, my dad, my brother, you know, they family really is what drove me and what continues to drive me. I think, you know, growing up, I just watched my parents work really hard to do really amazing things for the family. You know, I watched my dad just have a great career. I watched my mom later in life, go back and finish up her master's degree and um, continue to be Uh, working in the education fields. Um, You know, I watched my brother 
kind of had some a uh, little bit of health issues in high school and like through that turned it all around and went you know to college and got an amazing job and it's just there's a lot of tenacity there and I think um you take that and learn from that and it's inspirational watching others yeah that that is it is inspirational to see those around you just striving and was that something that you were aware of growing up do you think you were like wow this is this is because obviously we're growing up through it right it's not going to be like this is how everybody is I, I I assume this is how all families are was this something that you were conscious aware of that you were gifted this this opportunity to have that I think I I really appreciated my family but I think that I probably um, I think probably it took some reflection later on in life to really think about like the different sacrifices that were made um, and the the challenges that were kind of faced and overcome, you know, to give us just really a great life. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible that you're able to find that in, in, in that developmental stage of finding that, that openness. And as you're given this experience to kind of find Ashley, if you will, right? Wh- what is Ashley doing to fill her time through teenage, early childhood? What is she exploring? Yeah, um, she's exploring a lot, Brian. <laughs> she, she doesn't sit still. <laughs> So, um, so like I mentioned, I did gymnastics, uh, a lot of acting. Uh, I was into chorus. I did band for a while, loved different like crafts and arts things. Um, I loved cooking. So that was another thing that was very funny. Like my one friend and I, we used to, we would be in like the sixth grade throwing dinner parties for our parents where we'd oh, I love that. be like making chicken French. And oh my. <laughs> I mean, our parents still laugh about it because it would be, we'd plan these elaborate meals and it would take us literally all day to prepare them. And so they were always like, yeah, the food was delicious because by the time we got it, we'd been waiting like eight <laughs> hours for dinner. <laughs> But it was, I think it was definitely something too, where like, I didn't shy away from a challenge, you know, I mean, other stuff, like I loved fishing with my dad. Um, I loved reading. That was a big one. So just kind of anything I could be curious about. Yeah. I love that. You know, and again, and the curiosity of, of, of seeing this time and time again with people I've interviewed and people I've talked with and curiosity is like this immense component that is just deep in us as, as humans, right? For you, you're able to feed this curiosity. Maybe some people had curiosity and now they're not having that curiosity. How do they reignite that flame? How would you advise them to do that? Yeah, that's such a great question. So it's actually something I think about a lot in my role in education, because I think one of the best qualities a student can have is being curious, is wanting to know why things are the way they are and how can we take something from one context and apply it in another. And I think you're right. I do think that some people kind of lose that skill over time for a variety of reasons. I think that probably... My advice would be what works for me would be just to kind of continually expose yourself to new things. So, you know, go try a new experience, you know, a new game, a new class, you know, a new book, just something that's different. And then ask yourself questions about kind of what can I do with this? Like where else might it apply? And I think looking for those connections I think if you do so purposefully, you'll find more than you perhaps initially think are there. Yeah. Asking those powerful questions of what if, and a lot of guests thus far, you know, the saying, well, start with questioning yourself, questioning why you believe what you believe. And that goes back to that mindset of, well, why do I believe that I can't learn this or this is the way it is? And going back to those fundamental questions of, well, I have to slow down and reflect. And that takes time. Is that something that Ashley did? Did you do that, right? Did you slow mm-hmm. down and begin to reflect? And what years was this 
taking place? Yeah, I think I definitely did. Probably, oh, I guess it was probably starting around the time I was just out of graduate school, kind of into early career, just really thinking about what did I want the future to look like? What was important to me? What were additional interests I had? And how was I going to be able to make those things happen for myself? But I do think that that purposeful questioning is really important. Um, I spend a lot of time on it and I don't know, I don't know that everybody does or that everybody even thinks to. Um, I think that's unfortunate. I think it's a missed opportunity and that there are things there if we kind of open ourselves up to them. Yeah. And I think there, like you said, there's a lot of opportunities there when we almost build up these obstacles in our mind of this is how it has to be. This is the way it's always been. So there's no other solution to this that it's out of my control and even if it is question the reason why you believe those things are in control so i think the powerful questions begin to start to bring up that stuff and 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 bring light to it so in that in that regard if you will questioning our fears uh, i want to go back to that what was a big fear of ashley's growing up hmm Growing up, you know, I think growing up, I had a lot of little anxieties rather than any one big anxiety. (laughs) I think that later on in life, a big fear was, what if I don't want to do the traditional thing that everyone expects me to do? And that I think is a fear that I really had to had to work on. Um, when I was younger, I think it was a lot of little stuff, you know, that you work around it as you go, or you realize like, boy, I've really put a lot of anxiety on something that doesn't need to be there. But that question for me later on was the big one. was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Again, is why, why am I putting so much weight in this? And Mm -hmm. it starts all back with those questions and figuring that out. So let's, let's go through the timeline, if you will, of your life. And we're experiencing this, we're leaving high school, we're going into college. What are we majoring in at this point? So started out uh, in undergrad and I majored in business administration, minored in marketing, or excuse me, had a concentration in marketing and minored in psychology. Um, So really kind of a relatively sort of generic business course, but definitely some interest in human behavior. Yeah, especially with that psychology component. Did you did you just find that innate, again, curiosity of why are humans thinking what they're thinking? And is this something that can be influenced? Yeah, I found psychology late in my college career. Um, And so that was actually how it ended up being a minor. And I thought at that point in time, I think I added it maybe my last or second to last semester. Um, And I thought at that point in time, maybe I would go to graduate school for psychology. Um, But it just fascinated me because it was so, there's so much we don't know And there's so much we don't know even about ourselves. And to me, that was just so interesting to consider. Like, why do people participate in different behaviors? And how can we help people to make choices that are more fulfilling? And it just was such a powerful field to me that had so many different applications. That art of that is unpacking that. And that's the beauty of the art of the mindset is that art is contextualized patterns of all men's things. It could be upbringing. It could be social economical status. It could be belief systems. It could be whatever. There's so many facets to that. And that's the same thing about art is that art can be an interpretation of a number of things, music, writing, um, drawing, uh, um, you know, dance, theater, any of those things can be really an art form. And that's the beauty of the art of mindset is that there is no right or wrong way of doing it. It's just that's its way of conveying itself. But the other part that's great about it is that I can explain what I see in a piece of art to you and then you begin to see that same exact thing. And just like that, that can happen in the mindset as well is that, hey, yes, human psychology and behaviors interact and our influence our actions, 
but they can be molded, they can be changed, they can be transitioned, they can be developed. So in that in that way, you're finishing in your psychology or your minor in psychology and your business bachelor's. What do you do next? I know you have your PhD in health communications and, and I, I think a big part of your focus also in that regard was health behavioral theory, right? So yeah. what happens there? How do you how do you find that? Yeah. So um, initially I had been thinking graduate school in psychology and I applied a couple of places and I didn't get in. Um, and I don't know if that was, you know, the fact that I had a minor and other students were coming, you know, completely out of a bachelor's or that was something else, but it just didn't happen. Um, so I took a year off and I was working, kind of doing just entry level accounting. Um, so it wasn't necessarily something that I was particularly passionate about at the time, <laughs> um, but it was, you know, I was qualified to do it and uh, kind of behind the scenes though at the time, I knew I wanted to go to graduate school and I was kind of reframing, okay, well, what do I want to study and what's that going to look like? Should I continue to pursue psychology as kind of the route to go or should I look at other fields? And so I ended up, I was printing a lot of journal articles and just kind of reading up on like, well, what interests me? And over and over again, I was printing stuff from communication, particularly pertaining to health communication. And I thought, well, this is something I've never really thought about pursuing, but why not? And it was so widely applicable. And it seems almost, I think, so intuitive when you say to people like, oh, I study health communication. And I think kind of the gut feeling is like, Okay, like we we all communicate. <laughs> is that healthy communication? So, so you what can is that? talk about health, <laughs> but it's fascinating to me because there's so much there and so many directions you can take it, and that to me was why it really appealed. So it was really about for me where I really focused was kind of interpersonal communication in the context of health, and so I got really interested in really difficult health discussions and how those conversations can be had in ways that um, are kind of beneficial for the parties who are involved. Um, and so there's just a lot to be done and the outcomes of it are really powerful. You know, I mean, that's one of the things I think too that really inspired me about communication is we all do it, but we don't all do it well. <laughs> and and that's true for everyone, right? Like no matter how much time we spend studying it, we're all still going to make mistakes in that area. But at the same time, like if you think about these, like there are like massive problems and so much of it comes down to communication. And I think we forget that, you know, like you think about something like medical errors and we'll talk about what a massive issue that can be in society. And yet fundamentally at the core of it, a lot of it comes down to communication. And I just think that's a fascinating place to be able to play a role. Yeah, that brings me back to my my experience and my my previous career as a paramedic working in the field of Metro Atlanta and and seeing that and have seen and maybe not actively been a part but observed medical errors taking place where medications are getting administered that should not be administered. Um, and that was something that I took heart in, in trying to restore, improve, right, as the educator role when I stepped into into teaching is how can we improve communication? Can we integrate closed loop communication? Because we all know, right, and to be human is to err, right? It's to, ha it's to happen, right? You're going to make mistakes. It's guaranteed. But how can we improve it? There's got to be safety nets in that regard. And is that where that passion kind of drove you? Is that, hey, look, there's these things that are clear and precise, like you said, big problems. How can we resolve that? Is that what really drove you? Yeah, exactly. What I really ended up focusing on specifically was the area of organ and tissue donation. So I did a lot of work looking at how organ procurement coordinators or requesters 
talk with families at the end of life about the option for organ donation. And so, again, it was this context where it's very often seen as primarily a medical issue. Like it's very often talked about in terms of we have a demand for organs that exceeds the supply available. And there are a lot of interventions that will address that from a biologic perspective. So what can we do in terms of antiretrovirals to make organs, you know, function better for people? And what can we do in terms of, you know, how we're matching organs to optimize that process? And I got really interested in the fact that at the time I started studying it, of families who were asked about donation, only about, if they did not know their loved one's preference, only about 50% were saying yes. And so you had kind of this massive gap of people who could have donated and they didn't do so. And then there was kind of this follow-up research on that where people would participate in research later and they would say, well, I really regret not doing that. And so it became really interesting to me to think about, well, what's happening in those conversations and what could maybe happen differently to have us see a different outcome there. Um, and so, you know, I ended up becoming really focused on essentially how do we get people to make an educated decision in a moment that's really difficult because it's often a sudden and traumatic loss. It's often a topic someone doesn't have any prior knowledge of. They're in the middle of dealing with all of these other emotions and arrangements. And then there's a stranger coming in essentially and talking to them about this topic. But on the other side of that, there's also families who are waiting who need a family in this position to say yes. And so I, I wanted to figure out, like, where are the missed opportunities there? And that I, I think opportunity is a bad word for it. But it, if it's something a family would regret not doing, how can we make that happen for them? How can we make sure that whatever decision they make is the best decision for their family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's heavy stuff. And again, I, I've been a part of that. I've had, I've had family that has been recipients, and I've also had on the other side where a family has lost tragically, and we're having to make that conversation. And only due to the medical background of myself, that decision can be easily made. But as somebody that might not, right? The general public in that regard might not have that insight. And that's a tough conversation. And the last thing you kind of want to think about is this harvest, as you will, as sometimes that terminology is utilized is we want to harvest your loved one's organs. And that sounds very aggressive, right? So is that what you were targeting in that regard is how to ease that communication? Yeah, I mean, so like, that's a, that's one of like a, a simpler change, right? So like, they'll, um, requesters are very clear about like, they'll talk about procurement instead of harvesting, because I think for exactly that reason, you said that that sounds very aggressive. Um, and it, I think, brings to mind a visual that isn't really indicative of the respect that's used in that process. Um, but also even, aside from just vocabulary, also just really analyzing the conversations themselves. Like, so were they talking to families about the benefits? What were those benefits they were talking about? What barriers were they hearing come up from families and how were they addressing that? Um, you know, really kind of delving into like, how were they forming relationships and how was that influencing the ultimate outcome? Wow. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot more there when we really start talking about and thinking about that and focusing into it where we can start to think about those barriers and, and anybody that's got a healthcare background or even negotiations or sales, marketing, all the same things align in that same 
conversational loop, right? There's a sender, there's a decode or a noise factor, right? And then there's a interpretation and what affects those interpretations. There's biases, there's mindsets, there's perspectives, there's beliefs. So, but burrowing ourselves through that and understanding that we are communicating with other people in other regards of that, that's, that's foundational and that's great work that you're able to do there. And I know you were able to take that and would you publish over 35 studies in that regard? Yeah, I did a lot in that. Um, I mean, that's all health com work. Mm-hmm. The majority of it's donation. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. So at that point, then you're taking your research, you're taking your studies and you're saying, now I want to help others learn the strength of research. Is that where we're at? Yeah. So at that point in time, this was kind of, I did a postdoc and then I stayed on um, at the same university as a research assistant professor. And so at that point of time, I was doing a lot of um, funded work. And so I really was working on creating interventions where I would talk with these requesters and provide training on kind of ways of optimizing that conversation and then looking at changes that resulted from that process. So really kind of translating a lot of the early work I did into an intervention um, that, you know, ideally would be able to help people who are in the field. Wow. Yeah. And I got to say at that point, are you seeing I know what it's like to be an educator, maybe those that might not, as you're teaching anyone that's taught someone anything, you start to see these light bulbs clicking and these flips of the switches and things happening. What's your mindset in that regard? You might see, are you, are you seeing something come to fruition that you're like, yes, finally? Yeah, that was, (laughs) you know, it's so funny because I know exactly the moments you're talking about because I've had them as an educator. But the truth is, at that point in time, everything was going so fast that I'm not sure I even was having those moments yet. You know, it was, I was flying around the country and giving these presentations and collecting data and writing up the reports. And it was, it was all just going very quick. I mean, it was a really wonderful experience, but it was almost like there just wasn't time to kind of even take in everything that was happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I have to say sometimes again, I've We've all seen it. We get so busy in it and we're actually, we're what we're dreaming of doing takes into fruition and then we're in it. And then you look back on it, you're like, oh man, I did what I wanted to do and it's happening. And I, I missed the chance to really be present in what I was wanting to do. <laughs> so yeah, I have to say that's something that, that I can attest to and even listeners can attest to. So is this where we're transitioning into now becoming a professor or an educator in that regard? Yeah. So there I had been, um, so I was a research assistant professor. So it was almost all research. I was teaching one class one time a week on research methods. Um, And it was interesting. It really, I think, goes back to kind of where we started our whole conversation today. I was really looking forward to it because I loved that creative performative aspect of being in the classroom. Like I loved it if you could take, and in particular, I think I saw it as a challenge because because students see research methods as their required class and they are generally not excited. Yep. Yep. As one that has a graduate and master's degree and had to take research methods, I can attest to that. Yeah. And so it was almost like I saw it as this personal challenge of, okay, like, what can I do to make this different and exciting and make them see the value of these skills? And so I really looked forward to teaching that class every week. Um And then a position opened up at another school. It was a lot heavier on teaching. um, And it just seemed like a really perfect fit. So I applied and ended up transitioning over to where I am now. That's incredible. Yeah, I got to say, and you said almost like a performance aspect of creativity and anyone that might not have been an educator has never seen the experience of what it's like to be an educator. I've spoken with faculty, coworkers, all the sorts of my own type of educating. And there's days after teaching 
and and just educating that you are exhausted. You feel as if you've been on stage the entire time and they're like, what do you mean? You're just teaching. But to get classroom engagement, to get buy-ins, to get interactions, there's it's a performance. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. So that's fun to be able to go back to Ashley as a childhood or a child, if you will, and, and see that creativity aspect come back in. And is that how we're kind of releasing creativity in that regard and making it interactive? What was your classroom like? Or what is your classroom like now? Yeah, I mean, I definitely try to keep it interactive. Um, so I I think sometimes students don't always know what to expect, um, but I kind of like to keep it that way. So it's really about kind of what can I bring in for them that will, will be memorable, that will help them get the skills that they need, and how can I show them how those skills will be applicable once they leave the classroom? Like, ideally... I hope I bring them content that's useful, but even more important, I hope that they think about how to learn. And so where else can they apply apply the skills, the things that we're doing in the classroom? And so my hope is if I model in some different ways for them, that then they'll be able to use that in their own futures. Yeah. Yeah, definitely have to create those memorable experiences. And if it, if anything, they come back to that moment, right? And I can tell I have my own instructors and educators that were a part of my own development. We go back to like, I remember the class was a good class and I got a lot out of it, but there's also fundamental components of how to learn, how curiosity looks, what a good classroom environment looks like. And then as if you do, if you transition and go into this and want to create experiences later, and that's where we're at now with <laughs> you're wanting to create an entrepreneurial experience for InnoQuest, right? And uh, that's what we're doing. So we're trying to, again, incorporate that. So where is this even coming from that research, health communication, let's do city-based exploration? <laughs> Yeah, I think that goes back to um, I don't sit still. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So what had happened was, you know, part of it is exactly what you said. Like, so I'm, I'm back in the classroom and I'm loving the classroom aspect of it. Like, and it's exactly that, right? It's you're creating an experience for the students, right? I mean, they could come in. And you could lecture about variance and what that is and give them the calculation and they could do it. Or like yesterday in class, I had them come in and I said, okay, like push your desk aside. We're going to do a little mini study here today. And I had this silly thing where like I made them throw these paper planes, right? Some are made of construction paper. Some are made of printer paper. Some of them they're sticking paper clips on. Some of them they're using scotch tape to, you know, heighten their designs. And we're measuring how far they go. And so then we get done with throwing all the planes, measuring how far they go. And then we can have this conversation about, okay, well, now we have all this data and variance is just the spread of data. And so why is this data spread out the way it is? And then they're able to start producing, okay, well, it's because we didn't control things the way we should. Like, how come some people have paper clips? Why did we have different designs? How come, you know, you didn't make us all start at a same mark on the floor? And so it's really about this kind of delving deeper into something that's already there. So on one hand, I have kind of this background from the classroom where I'm thinking like, this is just kind of, I guess, my mindset, right? I'm thinking, how do you help people to kind of delve more in depth into things that are already present in their environment? Then on the other hand, I still have this just my own uniquely creating creative side of myself. 
And so once a month, I'm hauling my brother along to what I have called Sunday Fun Day, (laughs) where I basically tell him, like, we're going to find one fun thing in the area and we're going to just go do it. And so I'm making him do like escape rooms and cooking classes. And and he is very cooperative and willing to go along with it. But this would probably not be his choice. (laughs) So... One of the things we did was some interactive theater, and I just loved the experience. And so he and I had been talking for quite some time about we really wanted to have a business together and what could we create using both of our skills. And so his background is really um, in computer software engineering, mine, academia, research, health communications. We have pretty differing skill sets that really, I think, complement each other well. Um, So we ended up settling on, well, what if we created a mobile app? And we started thinking about what would that app look like? And eventually what we settled on was Interquest. And so the idea was, could we create these immersive stories that basically are experienced in your physical city and that encourage you to essentially follow a narrative that would take you through the city. And at each stop, you would be forced to solve these clues and puzzles by kind of looking closer at the world around you. So really encouraging people to solve problems and think deeper and actually stop and take a look at the things, you know, that I think we all pass by each day. Um, So that's what we settled on. Wow. Yeah, I love the experience. Again, you're talking about building experience. You're talking about, well, taking and integrating technology, which is a huge component of our realities now, right? So you're taking something that's there. You're also taking the city that's already there. And you're saying, let's create an interactive, collaborative experience that's allowing for all parties to work together, create experience, and be present massive. So as we're building this up, what are you thinking uh, as well as building a company? You know, academia, I don't know if your brother's got a background in building businesses and being entrepreneurial, but is this intimidating? Yeah, it's... I don't know if I would describe it as intimidating. I think I would describe it as there sometimes was doubt that would seep in, not doubt about if I could do it, but doubt about like, what do people around me think of this? Because it just seems so out of the ordinary for someone of my background to just kind of say, oh, look, this is what I'm trying. <laughs> um But it was, so I think it definitely took a concerted effort of just you know what you're trying to achieve. So you can have the mindset of an entrepreneur. And if other people don't have that mindset, like that's okay. That might not be the mindset for them, but it doesn't mean that you have to change your perceptions of what you're going after, how you're going to make that happen. Um, I mean, it was, again, I don't know if I'd use the word intimidating, but I certainly would say like there was a lot to learn. Like there was definitely... You know, my brother also had not started a business before. I think we benefited from the fact that my undergrad was in business. I think that definitely gave me some fundamentals that were helpful. But even that, you know, like things have changed, you know, I mean, like I look back and when I was in undergrad, social media was just starting and now it's you know that makes me feel 110 years old Um, but you know now it's like has to be this huge part of your marketing strategy and that's all new stuff you Mm -hmm. have to learn yeah there's a there's a lot of nuances there's a lot of specifics to building a business and stepping outward and that can be intimidating maybe not intimidating but daunting right something yes. that's potentially overwhelming and if you focus on it it can it can really stop you in your tracks and there's probably listeners now and other people that want to start and create something so building that tenacity and building that go-getter mentality 
how'd you do it? How did you wake up you and your brother every day and just start building this slowly but surely? Yeah. Daunting is a great word for it. I like that a lot because it's just, you are just climbing this mountain and so many people around you haven't climbed it before. So it's hard to know who to turn to for advice. Um, So I think where we're very lucky is that I think my brother and I do a good job of balancing each other out. So in terms of, we both definitely have our moments. We have our moments where we just, as, (laughs) as we describe it, we start to spiral, right? Like you start thinking, oh my gosh, this will never get done. This is never going to happen. What are we doing? And so very early on, we made this almost implicit agreement of like, only one of us gets to do that at a time. <laughs> and so we even have, we have these silly text exchanges where, you know, I'll say something like, well, I'm really frustrated about this. And he'll say, okay, well, you'll have to save it because it's my week to spiral. <laughs> and it's silly and we're joking about it. But the fact is, it really is a way of like pushing each other on of saying like, you know, it's okay to have those moments and it's okay to acknowledge them, but it's also good to have somebody who reminds you of the bigger picture and who reminds you of what you've already accomplished and who helps keep pushing you forward on those days where you do start to feel like it's more of a struggle. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of strength around and there's terminology out there for the accountability groups, right? Those mm-hmm. those surround surround yourself with the you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, you're trying to be an innovator, you're trying to be a leader, you're trying to be something that you might not see yourself at right now, you need to audit your environment. You need to see who you spend mm-hmm. the most time with. What are you consuming? Because once you surround yourself with people, like you're saying, your brother or other people that are saying, yeah, I totally see that idea. And you'll pitch that idea and you'll see your InnoQuest, right? Take off and people are like, yeah, I get it. And then you'll see people that don't. And the thing is, is that the people that don't are not your audience. That's not mm-hmm. your target. And that's okay. And you're not supposed to please everybody. And that's the hardest thing. So how did you gain that, that, you know, this is not for everybody. Yeah, it definitely takes practice. And I think you're absolutely right that it's about who you surround yourself with. I mean, part of it happened for me is very fortunate um, in the sense that part of just as we were building it, a lot of our, our building of the business was taking place kind of during the pandemic. And so no one was going anywhere. And so I started thinking, well, maybe I should become more active on LinkedIn. Like I'd had a static profile for years, but, you know, I wasn't creating original content. I wasn't really engaging with people outside of, you know, people I'd met at conferences. And so I started posting content. And for me, that was a really powerful way to connect with people, like you said, who had a mindset similar to myself. Because you start producing content and you start attracting other people like you who do the same. And you start having these really powerful conversations with people about how they've changed their lives and what they did to make that happen. And with so many conversations, you just take away these little nuggets of wisdom. And Also, I think just these, it's just inspirational to see other people who've gone before you and you, you can look at it and say, okay, well, this person used to do this and now they do this. So, you know, that's okay. Like it's okay to change directions and here's how they got there. So for me, that was really helpful. Like meeting a lot of people really internationally who, just had different life experiences and were willing to share what they'd been through with us. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of gift gifts, if you will, not in just one plural but, or singular, but plural there. There's a lot of gifts on social media that are probably ignored, right? There there's, there's negativity out there in, in social media and we know that to be true, but there are other aspects in which you can realign, refocus, readjust into seeing, and there's a lot of good out there. And once you start asking the questions and surrounding yourself and consuming that, 
that's all you begin to notice. And that is going to propel you. Like you said, you're getting these nuggets of wisdom and you're going to pull on that at certain times. And that's going to help you overcome those struggles. So in that, I know COVID, COVID, the catalyst of, if you will, of pushing on to LinkedIn and being a voice uh, on social media and building this platform. Was there anything else in maybe the, in the past, maybe two years, three years, five years that really changed your belief pattern in what you thought about the entrepreneurial mindset and the entrepreneurial strive, if you will? Hmm. You know, I think the best answer to that is that it's always changing. It's that it's every day almost. I'm learning something different and I'm tweaking it just a tiny little bit until we get closer and closer and closer to this vision. Because I think one of the things that it's almost a double-edged sword because on one hand, You talk to all these people and it's amazing and you get all of these perspectives. But then on the other hand, that's an awful lot of information and some of it will contradict other information, you know, like a a big one, right, is like you'll hear people talk about like this whole like hustle culture, you know, and you always have to be working. And there are people who I think fundamentally believe that. And like for myself, I am probably driven that way where I will work and work and work and I will burn myself out. And so one of the things that I kind of learned early on was like we were talking about, you know, accountability partners. And in a way, my brother almost has to hold me accountable to being hold me accountable to free time. (laughs) That's great. We will actually, I mean, we build in every week. We have one night a week where we get together and like it's, we have dinner, we watch TV, we laugh. Like it's, you know, we'll talk about business before and after, but we have a good three hour chunk where it's just about relaxing. And I think that's really important. And I think where that came about for me and kind of going back to the question that you asked is it came about as that constant reassessment of different things that I was getting from different people and really pulling out and finding what are those nuggets that work for you? Because at the end of the day, I think everything isn't going to work for everyone. And, you know, people are just sharing their experiences. And if that doesn't fit with who you are as a person or what you want for yourself, that's okay. Like then you find what does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, something that can be strongly emphasized again is that it's not, you can take advice from all types of people. It's not the, the way, right. It's not the singular path for you. It's just because it worked for them doesn't mean it will work for you and that's okay. And to let go of that and then to allow yourself to write your own script in that. And maybe it has parts of what they told you in it. But the point of it being is that you have to create something that works for you. You're not going to find success in following somebody else's path because that path is for them. So finding that path of success. So going to that with finding success, how or when did you define success in your mind? I think, uh, whew, I think that's a moving target. <laughs> so I think one of the biggest, though, one of the biggest kind of celebratory moments for us was that we had been working and working on InnoQuest and just, you know, we just hit this point where it just felt like, are we going to get it in the app stores? Like, when is that going to happen? Um, And so we did. We were accepted to both stores uh, right before the new year. And that was a big moment. I mean, that was when it felt like, okay, like now we can really get ready to run with this. Um, But I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of other successful moments before that. You know, I mean, another big one was even something as simple as like 
forming the business officially. You know, I mean, you put something on paper and all of a sudden it has a different feel to it. It has a different set of responsibilities. Um, I think I tend to gauge it for myself was kind of how I'm feeling about life and how I'm spending my time. I mean, to me, kind of a draw of everything has always been what can I bring to other people and kind of am I spending my day in a way that that makes me feel good about what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the deeper self, right? The deeper point of why we do what we do. And we all have heard it, find your why, all the sorts there. I know this is a great conversation. We've gotten into a lot and I hope that we, the listeners gain a lot out of it. We're coming to the tail end of the show here and I want to wrap up with some questions. I always ask these questions to my guests. Uh, number one question here, what, excites you most about the future? Mm. Oh my goodness. Whatever comes next, I guess the surprise is figuring out is just seeing what's the next moment that we're going to celebrate. Like, is it going to be creating a corporate partnership game? Is it going to be our first ticket sale for an existing game? Like it's just the possibility. The possibility mm. excites me. Yeah. Now, again, there's so many opportunities out there and you're building something and the, the, the excitement of the what if, right? What if this comes, right? And everybody thinks about what if this doesn't work, but I think focusing that mind and what if this works? What if this is a massive success? <laughs> what does that look like? Right. So that's a great way to think about it. <clears throat> Closing question, if you had one piece of advice or that you could give to yourself, a younger version of yourself, uh, a young person, if you will, a teenager, what would it be? Hmm. You know, the some of the best advice I've ever gotten is from my dad. And he always used to tell me, still does tell me, all you can do is your best. And if you do your best, like then you have nothing else to really be concerned about. Like you gave it your all. And so that's kind of how I've approached our business and how I continue to approach, you know, my academic work is just, you give it what you have and you learn from your experiences. And as long as you do that at the end of the day, regardless of how anyone else evaluates that work, you can feel good about what you put forward. Yeah. That's powerful. Ashley, it's been great chatting with you. It's super exciting to see where things are going to take you with InnoQuest and academia and all the sorts. So I'm really excited, but I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been excellent conversing with you. Thank you so much. It was really great being here. And I just, I love the whole premise of your podcast. And I really think that, that you're putting together something amazing. And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. If you haven't done so, please hit that follow subscribe button. We have some new initiatives coming in the future for future episodes. We're going to be cutting down the size of these interviews to make them more consumable for you, the listener. We also have new release coming up in the next season where we're going to be doing Monday Morning Mindset. We're a 10 to 15 minute clip on how to start your Monday in order to have the right mindset moving through the week. And as always, if you're looking for more content, head over to brianlesage.com. Also, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. As always, stay curious, keep expanding. Keep expanding.